0: everyone, this is Jennifer from Filament Games. We are recording here at Games for Change. This is the Filament Games podcast. It's been such an exciting two days here. So many people from all over the world have come to this conference to talk and discuss and share ideas about Games for Change. Um, I am interviewing someone I've never met before who's, uh, who's doing some amazing things uh, for the world. In our community and others. um, I'd like him to introduce himself.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jennifer. It really has been this neat confluence of of people, of initiatives, of different folks coming together these last two days. And so um, an honor to be able to talk about that a little bit with you today. Uh, My name is David Ball. I am the Global Head of Social Tech, Education, and Health for Second Muse. As part of that portfolio, we've been running over the last five years, the, the Headstream Program, which really focuses on the role that technology has on The well-being of young people in this country.
0: That's cool. You are just addressing a critical need in the world right now. It's so relevant. Walk us through what your organization does and what you're particularly focused on right now.
1: Yeah, so quickly, the parent organization of Headstream is Second Muse, which has, over the last 15 years, been looking at ways to address the most complex social and environmental issues around the world. About five years ago, we realized that mental health was becoming an absolute area for young people in this country and that the role that technology was having on their lives was part part of the solution, as part of something that we could also focus and learn more about. And so over the last five years, we've really focused on understanding the problem, spending about a year on researching what are the ways that technology can actually support young people, not looking at the negative aspects so much, but looking at the places where young people were thriving, where they were going to for support, where they were making meaningful connections, where they were developing some of the social skills that might have been lost as we transitioned a little bit from life interacting in person to life interacting more through digital means. So, after that research process, we, we started an accelerator called the Hedge Cream Accelerator, um, which has worked with entrepreneurs from across the country over the last four years to bring 36 different innovations to markets, right? The majority of our market, the majority of the entrepreneurs we work with, are looking at education markets, they're looking at healthcare markets, and they're looking at social technology markets. As their pathway to reaching young people and supporting their well-being. I think there's an interesting point that we're at right now in this space in the sense that, you know when we started five years ago, mental health was not part of the national discourse. If there's a silver lining in COVID, it is that it has definitely bumped mental health and the well-being of all of us to a national conversation. And through that national conversation, like families and moms and dads are having conversations with their kids, politicians are discussing this in Congress. Surgeon General is putting out advocacy around this. Celebrities are talking about this and bringing their followers to think about this. Businesses are also starting to think about this, right? And how potentially they can take advantage of this national attention on this in a way that has the risk of potentially commodifying or whitewashing mental health. And so it's, it's really interesting in the sense that over three years, we've seen something that wasn't discussed so much, something that now can be taken advantage of. And so the role that Headstream is playing is thinking about, you know, not so much are we anti-business, we're not anti-business, but we are anti-business of doing things the way that they've always been done. Because that has created structural inequalities that aren't good for the collective well-being of this country and of the collective well-being of all of us. And so what we do is we work with entrepreneurs who aren't your traditional founders. Many of them are first-time founders bringing new ideas to the table. Many of them are bringing lived experiences as queer founders or as women of color founders. About 90% of our founders are coming from a first-time founder, female-identifying, or person of color background. So these entrepreneurs who traditionally haven't been supported are getting access to the types of resources that can scale and build their products so that they can be as successful as your Ivy League graduate who has a network in a community that's going to support them and give them that quick pathway to success. We believe that these entrepreneurs who have these lived experiences and know how to build culturally competent and age-appropriate solutions for young people are setting the standard for the types of solutions, whether those are games, or ed tech products, if they're setting the standard, then those will be what gets emulated. Those will be the types of products that get investment. Those will be the types of products that are reaching young people in this country and supporting them, whether they're a young person growing up on Indigenous land in Kansas, whether they're growing up right next door in Brooklyn here in a in, you know in a in a in a school that has the ability to not give them all the resources that they may need. These are the types of the products and solutions that we believe can really have a tremendous impact in shaping this market that's growing out of this pandemic and this crisis around mental health.
0: That's so cool. So tell me, are there any of the initiatives that you've gone through your accelerator in recent years that you're super excited about or have gained traction or that you want to note in particular?
1: Yeah, I mean, last week... I know it's
0: hard to pick your favorite child. It
1: definitely is. I mean, for, for the purpose of this, I'd love to talk about a couple of the gaming ones as well, but... You know, last week, I just want to give a shout out to Limbix, which um, was one of the first FDA-approved adolescent mental health applications. And so they were acquired last week in an opportunity to really scale their product and move forward. Um, some of the more gaming-focused products that we've worked with have really focused on you know, thinking about the, the user experience for, for young people as they're entering a game. And so that's a, a innovation called Gamer Safer, which is led by two founders from Brazil working really closely with Minecraft and me- meeting, meeting millions of young people right now online through that interface of how they sign on to games, preparing them for safe gameplay, for positive experiences. we have had a lot of entrepreneurs that have thought about identity as well and the different types of ways that young people are seeing themselves. You know, Mika Lejean is an entrepreneur that, I, that we give a lot of shout out and credit for at, at Headstream because of her ability to think about the different ways that young people are are thinking about how they see themselves in online places, how they see themselves in games and avatars and different creativity brings a lot of authenticity to the games as well. Um, There's been other entrepreneurs that think a lot about how we we build business models within our games so that they're not just extractive, they're not just exploited. And so we really try and push the envelope and work with entrepreneurs who are thinking less about kind of that small step change, but also more about how we can think about Brand new ideas and bring those to the public as, as both inspiration, but then also as the models, as I was speaking to earlier, the models that we can then emulate that become the standard for this industry.
0: I, we have many different types of listeners to the podcast, but I know uh, a lot of our listeners are either game based learning like um, students or they're building games or dreaming of games or work for studios. Um, I'd love for you to just spend a few minutes talking about like, is your uh, accelerator ongoing? What the types of things you look for, how you apply, what could they expect? Because I know some people want to hear about that.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. And I, I appreciate you bringing it back to us because I got so excited about talking about the accelerator and the state of where we're at with innovation around mental health in this country right now that... There are a number of different opportunities that folks can apply to and participate in our work. We we believe in network centered innovation, and I think that that's twofold. One, it means that you know folks like yourself, Jennifer, who have a certain expertise, have shaped the way we think about our programs, the way we bring thought leadership, the way we support different types of entrepreneurs. We also use Headstream as a vehicle to support the broader community, and we're fortunate to be in that privileged position. And so, you know, if you are if you are an entrepreneur, we have two programs that you can participate in. One is our accelerator for early stage entrepreneurs. And the second one is our fellowship that's just kicking off in the following, that's going to kick off next year for the first time, focus on growth stage entrepreneurs and helping them grow and find new customers in different markets. Um, we run a youth program called the Youth to, Cre- to Creator program that's brought in about 90 people over the last couple of years. Uh, to, to work directly with the entrepreneurs in our accelerator program, it gives young people the opportunity to become those co-creators with the product builders and to learn not only how to build in that entrepreneurial bent, but also how to kind of emphasize their cultural wealth that they bring as young people. Young people have so much expertise and we just don't create the platforms necessarily for them to voice that expertise. And so we bring them into this program, not as folks that are just coming in as a focus group or as an advisory board, but as legitimate, yeah, or tester, right? But as legitimate co-creators in this process, that's led to several of our youth participants in this program being hired by the entrepreneurs and the companies in the programs, you know, they're creating the actual content that is engaging directly with the users on those platforms. So that's been a really, really neat piece of our work. And then on the the side that we're also kicking off this year for the first year is, you know, how do we think about increasing the utilization of these products? Entrepreneurs and the products that they're building are incredibly inspirational and they often are that kind of north light that that the rest of us follow, right? They are what we what we think could be the future and we we put them on that pedestal in a way that they absolutely deserve for the the risk that they take and the you know the, the like sweat equity that they put into things. But sometimes we don't necessarily think about the, the infrastructure and, and how we increase these amazing innovations and make sure that they're not necessarily dying on the vine, that these ideas and these places and these experiences that you've probably seen dozens of games that you thought were going to change the world that didn't necessarily have the infrastructure to get to those users. So we're thinking a lot about procurement, and particularly in the education and the healthcare sector, how do we think about educating and bringing along the superintendents of school districts so that they can understand, oh, what are the ways that that games or different education technologies and digital health products can come into schools and support with student well-being? What does it look like for a healthcare system to think about the different ways that we increase adherence to digital products so that we're not prescribing digital health solutions to a young person and they're looking at the app and looking at it like it was built in 2000, right? right. Or playing a game that they would never recommend to a peer. Right. How do we think about building these products and working with those folks on the customer side to give them the tools to pay for these things to pay to like to train the educators in their school system so they're not just dropping in another tech solution that nobody wants to use. Like we believe there's a real big opportunity to fill some of the gaps that exist in providing services to young people in this country by utilizing digital products such as games in this case to really bring that to these consumers. If you solve businesses. the last
0: mile issue for games for positive impact, you will be a hero in our field. I will personally buy you dinner. Um, It's the hardest thing because, you know, uh, particularly, you know, I've experienced both on the um, on the healthcare side and on the school side. And it's it's not it's just they're so constrained by how they purchase, what they purchase, what they can purchase, what the budgets are. Um, And obviously we're in a state right now of educator overwhelm that a lot of districts are just like we can't do anything innovative or new or anything else.
1: I know as we, you know, as we enhance our focus on the education system at Headstream, I, every time I talk about that, right, I feel this pain that like we're adding another responsibility to the, to the shoulders of these educators in this company, country. But in, in reality, right, the, the question we often ask is like, where are young people getting support? And if you look at the young people that are on Medicaid, about three quarters of young people that are on Medicaid that actually get mental health support in this country get that support through school systems. And so if we're trying to address a mental health crisis, we have to look where people are getting support already. Sure. And so let's look at schools as an opportunity to do that. Let's look at our healthcare system as a way to increase that. And I think what I want to commend this, this audience and the folks here at Games for Change and the work that you're doing is that you all have done a tremendous amount of the hard work already to understand these systems and even to bring... Whether it's, whether it's games for learning, whether it's digital, digital citizenship, you've already kind of brought these to the attention of these procurers and school systems and healthcare systems so that they're aware of that, right? Yes. And now we're talking about some of the more, some of the more like, how do we actually pay for this? Or like, I don't have the time to evaluate a thousand different games that are being pitched to me. Like, how do we select the ones that actually have that evidence base, that have that impact data that we can kind of go out and trust and put into the hands of our, our teachers or our you know, our school counselors or the young people in our schools. And so what I want to invite the different listeners here and, and you all and, and to join as well is like, we don't believe we can do this by ourselves. Like, I, like, as you said, I'll have many people buying me dinner if we're able to solve this ourselves, but that's not our intention, right? You don't, we don't really need that much dinner. To, yeah, I mean, I... I could probably eat a lot of dinner, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not that much. I, I, I'd much rather do this with the folks who are already thinking about this, working on it. Well, we I was going to say,
0: you said this is an initiative you're kicking off later this year. If you need an advisor or someone to sit, if you want representation from industry in your solution, call me. Awesome.
1: I will take you up I'm on definitely that.
0: definitely happy to help with that because I think we have, I mean, Filament, for example, we've been selling products to schools, not particularly in mental health, but in kind of core subjects. And we've been doing it for Oh, close to 18 years. So we have seen the trajectory and where they are. And, and I think not only do we have like kind of how it's supposed to work, but then also like, this is how it actually happens. And this is what, here's are the obstacles we have to face. So I love that you're thinking about it. Like not, we've always thought of it for one company, our mm-hmm. company. So I love your thinking about, well, how about we get, we have, you have 36 or something products that you represent. Like, how do we do it on a bigger scale, which is the way to do it so you can kind of get the right attention. So I'm excited to hear more about that when it happens.
1: We're really thrilled about it as well. And i like, we know this is going to be very hard. We know that it's a pain point that, you know, entrepreneurs that we work with, you know, established companies like yours that have been around for 18 years are facing. Um, We also know that there's a lot of appetite for this, right? Um, That there is interest. And so Thinking about the way that we run programs at Second Muse and Headstream, we often do that for entrepreneurs, but we believe we can also do that and build the types of resources for these folks on the customer side so that we're not forcing them to procure something that they don't want, but we're solving some of the problems that they might have, whether that's, how do we pay for this? Or how do I navigate Medicaid? Or how do I select from 10,000 different options? Or how do I make sure that there's buy-in from the teacher population? Like These are problems that we're hearing directly from superintendents, from the tech buyers and districts from from principals and school teachers, and so if we're able to solve that and provide those resources directly to them, we believe that we can at least start to move in the right direction where digital products get a little bit more accepted as part of the solution for mental health.
0: Now I'm so curious. What's your background and how did you come to this work?
1: Oh, I feel like when you were you were speaking a little bit to the types of folks that were coming into this space, it was like I see my I see little pieces of myself in a lot of that. Um, I started my background in in education. I was a teacher for a couple of years, uh, and then I extended that into into working internationally and in development, using a lot of like the keys to entrepreneurship to understand how we can make environmental change, how we can look at you know, good governance in developing countries. Um, I was particularly focused on East Africa and Latin America and spent a lot of time um, in Tanzania and Kenya and Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic, and then came back um, to the United States, worked a little bit for Major League Baseball, worked a little bit for the National Park Service with this mindset that there are ways in which we can change the world around us for the better and good within, current, within the current systems that exist by making a case that business can go and coincide directly with having positive social impacts and environmental impacts. And if we were able to solve that for the the Fortune 500 CEOs and convince them that there is a business case for co-creating with young people, that there is a business case for, um, you know, building products directly for oppressed populations, we're able to make a business case, they will agree to that, they will take that on board. And so my pathway over the last 10 years has really been focused on looking at different sectors and understanding, especially with entrepreneurs, but then also at that systems level, how can we make that case to bring these types of Innovations and products that are going to change our world for the better, systems that historically haven't supported the collective well-being of this entire entire world, entire country. In this case, for Headstream.
0: A logistical question: When you say you kind of talked about three different programs and way that people get involved, are you uh, are you an in, in real life organization or are you virtual?
1: We do almost all of our work virtually. Uh, which allows us to. You take to really applicants reach... from
0: across the country and the world.
1: We do. We've had applicants from. I was talking about the applicant from Brazil. We've had applicants from across Europe. We've had applicants from 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 Africa across the continent as well. Um, it allows us to be able to to bring in all sorts of new ideas. We do for our program require that those applicants are interested in bringing their product or already have traction in the United States. So we are focused at this stage of our development of Headstream domestically here in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, looking at the types of solutions that can support with particularly LGBTQIA, um, Black, Indigenous, Latinx, and other youth that are at the intersectionality of those identities here in the U.S.
0: What have you seen at Gains for Change that you're excited about? I or think, what have you seen or heard?
1: Yeah, you know, what's really resonated for me as we think about the the field building around mental well-being and the nascency of that and even the nascency of field building around you know take ai as an example is that this is an incredibly strong community and I'll you know I'll be more dis- descriptive what i mean by strong but it's it's rare that you find a bunch of actors who are moving in the same direction without butting heads with each other and that are able there to celebrate each other, that are able to be joyful with each other, they are able to kind of put this the competition that is going to underlie almost all of our work, no matter what it is, uh, put that to the side and collaborate for the greater good. And, you know, I've felt that as we celebrate 20 years of Games for Change this week, I have felt that so strongly. And I think that is an aspiration for a lots of different fields and lots of different sectors of how we can take something that is, you know, immensely challenging you know all of the work that's being done to bring games and other forms of media for the greater good how we can take that approach of this community that's been built for games and bring that to other places as well I think one of the things that I've loved about the mental well-being sector especially the adolescent mental well-being sector is the way folks have collaborated and it doesn't feel like a zero-sum game where there's only a few slices of the pie people are in this and especially the folks who have been doing this for decades I'm relatively new to the space. Are bringing this moment in time to the surface and allowing other ideas and other solutions to come and play a part in that. So I think we can use games for change in this community as as an aspiration of what a what a what a productive, joyful um, community looks like. To use different types of technologies for the greater good.
0: I mean, that's because there's like as an industry we're still so industry group we're still so nascent. We are like at the one or two percent mark. Like, so I think the feeling amongst a lot of us is like, if you just get, if you're doing your part to get more people in using games for positive impact, we're doing that too. We just need more people around the world to accept game simulations, digital experience as a positive tool for change. And we just have to push that mindset. None of us can do it individually. Yeah. So I think there, we all think, you know, there's enough room for all of us and we have to, instead of like, um, we have to support and celebrate each other's efforts publicly, like on social media or elsewhere, privately, like there's, there's no, we're not yet, we're not like, I don't know, the banking center se- sector that's been around sure. forever, that they're all trying to grab each other's customers. We're just like, Hey, does anyone want to pay attention? We're trying to do this big thing together and we're actually trying to change the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, you make it sound I like obvious or simple that that's the way it should be, but I, I still feel like it's really unique. And I, you know, one of the things that you all are doing that, that other folks aren't doing is that you're, you're actually doing it through a means and a medium that young people are enchanted with, you know, both as creators, as users, as players, like this is a place that we are not like the, the, the discourse of two decades ago no longer exists. Like now you have parents who grew up with video games playing those games with their kids. You're going to have the generation that we work closely with, these, the teenagers now who are going to go into the workforce and see games as a means and a medium and a vehicle for all these different types of change. And so I think like this, this community and this group is in such a great place to be that vehicle for some of these large challenges that we're facing. And so I'm really excited as what I would consider somewhat of an outsider here to admire a little bit from a distance and look at the potential that these places have and then also respect all of the work that's gone into this, right? Like it's interesting to see, you know, I view you all as this kind of like developed ecosystem and, like, developed community, whereas you still, like, there's so much more and there's so much potential, which I think is fueling a lot of the folks here that I've met this week to continue in that creative passion that they have to work on these really hard challenges and not just go work for the banking sector or not just go work for a consulting company, right, to continue to really pour into this work.
0: Well, I've really admired just Games for Change as an organization, how they've really over time forged this beautiful relationship with the United Nations And, you know, I attended their event on Monday and kind of the working group. And, you know, part of it coming in was like, oh, this is so nice. Well, they're both in New York. Maybe this is just regular business in New York. This is how New Yorkers do Mm -hmm. it. Um, But we were, you know, at the UN kind of attending this event. And it was so clear from all the UN speakers are like, we want you. We need you because the people we want to reach are actually listening to you. And they're your users, so I'm really excited. Like um, we've been we've been partnered with Roblox now for a while. They're getting into the education space mm-hmm. and into the impact space. So then you go from okay, now Roblox has 200 million active users every month. Like they have global scale that's yeah. incredible. And as a you know we're a mission based company where we we judge ourselves by the impact we make. We suddenly, you know, the the media that we've created, like you said, rich media, amazing games, well-designed, amazing results. Suddenly we're going to be able to start um, working at the scale that you can really move the needle. So that is something unique that I feel this year Mm. that I haven't felt so much in previous year, just because now we're getting the attention of huge players like the United Nations. And Roblox, pretty, not that they're equal. It's pretty big at all. Yeah, two <laughs> pretty different ones.
1: But you know, we think about that as like we would we would call the work that we would call Filament like a change maker in this space. And you know, those change makers are like the inspiration. They are the creators, but they often don't hold a lot of that power, unfortunately. And so, you know, when we talk about a big company like Roblox and love the work that they're doing. When we talk about the United Nations, like those are folks that hold power because they have reach, they have access, they have resources. And so once those folks are coming to us and providing their platform and realizing the work that we do and that awareness is built, we can really change things. And so that's how we think about it too, right? Like once we can, once we can bring big school systems on board or big healthcare systems on board, realizing the potential of the types of creations and innovations and products that are being built, like we think we can really solve some really big challenges. And so I'm excited to hear that, that you're feeling that this year. I think we're starting to feel that and getting energy and folks are opening up to that as well, which leaves the next couple of years as really this influential, influential point to prove that yeah, they were right to take a chance on on these mission-driven products, right? They were right to kind of not just look at the bottom line through a monetary and, and kind of financial perspective. And if we can do that, then I think we can really take off.
0: Yes, David, I'm so inspired. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. Uh, please do involve us in your effort in any way you think would be appropriate. And I'm hopefully people, some of our listeners, will also kind of think about your programmings and figure out how to get involved.
1: Yeah, we would love to uh, and we would love to invite folks um, to participate, however we can be helpful. And and thank you so much for, for having me and for, for that offer. And I will write down that invitation to dinner in case we do solve this big challenge.
0: I love it. It's gonna happen. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what's happening at our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. And be sure to visit us at our website, FilamentGames.com.